Well, at this time, we have a kids' class available, and this Sunday, because we have a potluck to follow our worship service, the kids' class is right back here in the garage. So kids, you are more than welcome to make your way there uh, with your teachers at this time. And uh, we really are grateful for all the children that God has put in our families and ministries here at Beaumont Baptist Church. Um, also, every Sunday, if you're unaware, we have a nursery uh, that just is uh, held in this back room right over here. It's fully staffed, and parents are more than welcome to drop your kids off at that. And of course, your kids are always welcome with us right here in the worship service. Um, I want to invite you at this time to join me in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 21. James 1, 21. Would you think that the following things are negative or positive? An uncoachable athlete an unteachable student, an untrainable apprentice, or perhaps to top them all off, an incorrigible toddler. None of those characteristics are really positive in a person, and perhaps worst of all, thinking of things in that category, of people in that category, perhaps worst of all is an unteachable Christian. Christians can lose their ability to be taught. When you think about a brand new Christian and, and a, a, a Someone that's just been born spiritually and the hunger for God's word, the hunger to be with God's people. And yet sometimes what happens over the course of the years, Christians get a little bit crusty and they lose that. Christians can lose their ability to be taught. And God's plan for all of us is that what starts at the very beginning, that hunger would grow and grow and grow and grow until we behold Jesus face to face. The next commitment of our church covenant, number 12, is what we're going to consider today. We've been working through it. If you don't have a copy of that, there are copies on the back of the red table uh, right over here. But we've just been examining these and, and their biblical nature and trying to, to wrestle through, okay, God, how do we live these out? And so we come to number 12 today, which says this, I will remain teachable before the preaching of God's word. Do you ever want to get to the point in your life where that is no longer the case? Or is it possible that right here today that, that you are a bit hardened somehow to God's word and the preaching of it? God expects you to humbly receive the preaching of his word. And I've asked you to turn to James 1.21, and we are going to dip right into this incredible uh, paragraph or, or grouping of paragraphs on receiving the word of God. And many of us have probably heard several messages on this text, and so we're going to do something unique here today. I'm going to literally grab just a phrase or two. And just see if we can hone in on it and digest it and grab it. And it's the second half of James 1, verse 21, where God gives us this command. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, perhaps at first glance, that sounds like an invitation to the unbeliever, the person who has not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, an invitation for that person to receive the good news of the gospel, what Dave was just talking about. But that's actually not what this verse is. James has been addressing Christians, and in his language, he's using the language of brothers. He used that word in verse 2 of chapter 1, verse 9, verse 16, verse 19. You'll see him use it again in chapter 2, verse 1. He's addressing Christians. In fact, back in verse 18 of chapter 1, James spoke of believers being born by the word of truth or being born by the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. 
And now here, verse 21 tells us that the word has been planted somewhere. That's what we do with seeds. And the word of God, the gospel has been planted somewhere, presumably so that growth might occur. Where has God planted his word? Where has God planted the gospel? And I think based on other passages of of scripture, we would say, well, the heart. God's word is the seed and the human heart, the soil. As we look at this biblical commitment from our covenant here today, we're going to work through five simple realities again about it. And the first one is that it is biblical. It is a biblical commitment. The Bible teaches that you should remain teachable before the preaching of God's word. This is not some idea that I have or something that whoever wrote our church covenant, whenever that happened, just threw in there. Our text this morning offers at least four keys to remaining teachable before the preaching of God's word. First key, obey the command to receive the preached word. James writes, receive with meekness the implanted word. Uh, Though that command relates to more than simply the preaching of God's word, it certainly would include it. I mean, it it would relate to when you just open up your Bible and read it. It would relate to when it's preached. Anytime we encounter the word of God and come face to face with it, what are we going to do? Well, you should receive the preached word. I want you to turn over with me to second. You can keep your finger here, but turn over to second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. You should welcome the preached word into your life and be willing to be shaped by it. And as I say that, I recognize that 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 is a bit of a generic statement. Well, yes, of course. Yeah, that's what I should do. I should welcome it and I should be eager to receive it. But can we get more specific? And I think we can as we put our eyes here on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, a very well-known passage. We read there that all Scripture is breathed out by God. These are God's words. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for four specific things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. To what end? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, implying that without it, you're not equipped for every good work. I once heard someone relate the items listed in those verses to a road, and I I thought it was helpful. So the first uh, item that's mentioned in the list is teaching or doctrine, which would basically be this. Here is the road. Okay, here's the road that God wants you to walk. Here's the Christian life that God wants you to live. And then next, reproof. Oh, man, you've stepped off the road. You've stepped into sin or or something like that. And then next on the list is correction. You need to get back on the road. And here's how that can be done according to Scripture. And then finally, training in righteousness. Here's how you stay on the road and keep walking and keep growing. If the Word helps us through those four specific elements, then we should expect that the preaching of the Word would consist of those same four elements. Depending on the text being preached, some sermons might consist of all four of those, very obviously, where others may be more heavily weighted towards one or a few of them. By the way, a a total random side note here that you might find somewhat helpful. If that's the pattern for how God helps his children with his word, then it's probably an excellent pattern for you to carry over into your own parenting and training of your children. 
I mean, just think about this for a moment. Often what happens in, as we raise our children, it's, hey, you did something wrong, and here's the consequence for that. And that's not really restorative or corrective or uh, bringing things full circle. And yet, as we look at how God relates to us with, the, with his word, it's always full circle with us. And it, I think something like this would apply to parenting in so many other realms, as you're trying to help anybody with anything. It's beautiful what God does. But back specifically to this idea of pre- the preaching of God's word, God wants you to willingly receive doctrine. That's the first thing on the list there in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. When God's word is preached here, you will be taught doctrine. And you want to be willing to humbly bow to the text of God's word, whatever it says, even if it's uncomfortable. Or perhaps it does not seem to match your presuppositions. Or maybe it doesn't match your doctrinal heritage. Well, I always grew up being taught this. This must be right. Or it doesn't match your personal experience. I will say, preaching through books as a pastor, I have had many sections of scripture that I went in thinking a certain thing. And by the time I had studied through a couple chapters and preached through a couple chapters, I thought, you know what? My views have changed. Or they've been nuanced a little better. I'm not sure I can hold that position as firmly or as strongly. And this position that I didn't hold very strongly, I need to. And really, all of us, as we stick our our noses in the Word of God, as it's taught to us, as it's preached to us, we want to ask, is this what the Word of the Lord says, regardless of what I feel or what I think? or what I may have been, been taught in the past, we bow before the word of God. God wants you to willingly receive doctrine, and God wants you to willingly receive reproof. Certain Sundays, you are going to sit down here in this room, probably every single one of us, and God, through the preaching of his word, is essentially going to look you right in the eyes. And he is going to say, You are in the wrong. You are in sin. What are you do what you are doing? What you are thinking, what you are believing, that internal attitude that, that you're having is wrong. And God wants you to willingly receive that. His word brings reproof. And so the preaching of his word would do that as well. God wants you to willingly receive correction. The preaching of God's word is sometimes going to tell you something like this. You've gone off the road, right? You're you're not on the biblical road, what God is calling you to. You're not living that out. So here's how you get back on the road. Don't you love that about the word of God? It's not, hey, you know what? You've got all sorts of problems. Wham, wham, wham. We're done with you. That's not how God relates to us. You're in the wrong. Here's the road. Here's how you get back on it. And at times that's going to look like this. You need to confess and and repent of what you've done. You need to believe what God has said. Here are God's promises. Here's the truth he put on the table. You need to ask God and possibly someone else for forgiveness and seek restoration. Further, God wants you to willingly receive training and righteousness as God's word is preached. The preached word, if you receive it, will help you walk the right road. And stay on it. It will strengthen you. It will help you move forward. It will help you grow. You should receive the preached word. But what's implied there is actually that you could reject it. The preached word. 
you could harden yourself against it and a sort of numbing effect could begin to occur. How does that brand new baby Christian 20 years down the road actually just sit there in services and walk out unchanged? How does a person get there? It could be much like going to your doctor and your doctor says, hey, we just ran all these tests and I want you to listen because this is really important. If you don't slow down and you don't take care of yourself and you don't start to make some changes, you are going to have a heart attack. It's just a matter of time. You need to listen. And hopefully, as any good patient going to the doctor would be like, thank you. I mean, I have no idea how I'm going to do that, but I'm glad you told me and I'm going to try. Or the other approach could just be like, yeah, whatever, this has been working for me and I don't want to change. I don't want to do this. I just, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. God wants you to obey the command to receive the preached word. There's a second key to remaining teachable, and that is to focus on the way that you receive the preached word. God speaks to the manner or disposition that you and I should have as the word of God is preached. And I I think what we can think oftentimes is that we can come to a setting like this and we're kind of just passively here. We've just showed up and that's good. And by the way, it's awesome you're here. But God cares about the manner with which you receive or the way you receive the preached word. You should receive the preached word with humility. Back in James chapter 1, verse 21, our text here today, what what are we told? We're told to receive with meekness, receive with humility the implanted word. In other words, you are not listening well to the preached word if you are not listening with humility. And what does that look like? Well, it probably, here would be a few examples. As you come and you sit down and God's word is opened, I mean, you are sitting there and in your heart you are saying, perhaps praying to the Lord, God, I need this. These words were written for me and I need to grow. I'm not, I'm not yet what God wants me to be. I'm very much a work in progress. I have sin struggles. I, I need whatever God has for me today from the pages of his word. God wrote this for me, for us. I don't have it all figured out. And even this posture, I think of God, would you, would you hit me, so to speak, lovingly with your word? Whatever you want to say, I'm listening. And I'm trying to come here and hear your word preached with all of my defenses, all of my arms, all of my defensive postures set down. And my ears are open. Receive with meekness the implanted word. You should receive the preached word with humility. But I think we could add to that that you should receive the preached word with hunger. This whole idea of reception. Throughout scripture, God's word is likened to food. For example, Job spoke of God's word this way in Job 23 verse 12. He said, I have not departed from the commandment of his, God's lips. And then he says that he has treasured the words of his, of God's mouth, more than my portion of daily food. I don't know about you, but I really treasure my portion of daily food. I get excited about it. I can't wait. And if I miss it, it's like, that's not okay. And Job says, I have treasured your words more than than if I get to eat today. As a Christian, you should have a hunger for the word of God, and that should manifest itself as you come to church. I think if I could give you two two words put together, it would really capture the idea, humble hunger. And we see an exemplary model of this in the Jewish Christians of Berea. 
Uh, Paul preached in their synagogue, and Luke records for us in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, uh, of these people. He said that these Jews were more noble, one translation says, open-minded, than those in Thessalonica. And then give special attention to this next phrase, and just note how it corresponds to the one in James. They received the word with all eagerness. What James has exhorted us to do, we see that these people did. And it it continues there that they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. God wants us to be like that, humble and hungry for the word of God. And so we want to focus on the way that we receive the preached word. By God's grace, you want to receive it with humble hunger. A third key to remaining teachable is the value of the treasure of receiving the preached word. James speaks of receiving with meekness not someone's opinion, not someone's experience, not someone's excellent, marvelous, wonderful thoughts, not someone's wisdom, not someone's stories, but the implanted word. And when God's word is preached and we open it up and we, we, we look at it and it's declared, that's exactly what we get. We get the word of God. Uh, we read about how th- this, this book is breathed out by God. These are his words. And what does the Bible say about itself? I mean, what if you were to just try to fill in the blank for a moment in your mind? God's word is what? Can you think of any scriptures that speak about what God's word is like? God's word is what? I can give you a few examples. It's truth. John 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is alive. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to, to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Every time I read that, those words, I think about this. We study many, many books. We open up books. I mean, some of you have earned multiple degrees, and you have opened up textbook after textbook after textbook. And what have you done with that textbook? You've opened it up, and you've studied it, and you've examined it but it's a dead book. This book is described as being alive, meaning this, that you don't just sit down and open it up and examine it. As soon as you open it up, it examines you. And that's what's being talked about here, that it's a two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit. I mean, God's word just goes right in there. It's light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. Your feet need the lamp of God's word. Of course they do. It's life-giving food. Matthew 4, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's righteous. Psalm 119, 160, the, the sum, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. It's eternal. Isaiah 4, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, We all do. But the word of God will stand forever. And consider this, it is also the single weapon of our spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 verse 17 admonishes us to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You do realize that the list that I just gave you is nothing more than the tip of the iceberg? I mean, time would totally 
fail us here today to capture all that God's word is. In every regard, the word of God is a priceless treasure. And so we are told, receive with meekness the implanted word. Value the treasure of receiving the preached word. And a fourth key to remaining teachable. Weigh the results of that. Weigh the results of receiving the preached word. You could ask yourself a question like this. What will the outcomes be in your life if you receive it? What will the outcomes be in your life if you do exactly what you're being admonished to do right this very moment? And what will the outcomes be in your life if you do the opposite, if you reject it? Well, listen to our text again in James 1.21, and let's give special attention to the last phrase. We're told, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is what? Which is able to save your souls. According to that last verse, when you receive God's word, when you receive the preaching of, of the word with humility, three spectacular components all converge together. And if you look, look back down at the text and that phrase, what three components are all converging together? What are they? Well, First, we have the word's power and ability. We read of, this, this, of God's word that it is able, that it has power and ability to do something. So first, the word's power and ability, and what, what comes with that? Salvation and deliverance. And one more thing, you. The word's power and ability, salvation and deliverance, and you. This powerful book, when received, will deliver you again and again and again and again. It will set you free. It will set you free from sin and its powerful grip. It will set you free from your flesh and its unredeemable, its unredeemable destructive ways constantly vying within you to, to have its wills fulfilled, its desire fulfilled. And the Word of God will help you walk in the Spirit instead. It will set you free from the devil and his attacks. Our Lord used the word of God when Satan tried to tempt him. It will set you free from the world and its allure. It will set you free and it will liberate you from your fears and from your anxieties. It will set you free from your feeble doubts and the crushing weights that come just hammering down on your soul. This book is breathed out by God. And he says that his words are life. And so is it any wonder that they are able to save your soul? Let me tell you something that God does every single Sunday, not just here at Beaumont Baptist Church, but all around the world. Every single Sunday, very ordinary men stand up. Insignificant men stand up. And they preach this book as very frail, very weak, insufficient men. And God, through the power of his word, radically changes people's lives. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians in the first few chapters there. This is not about me or anybody else. But the wisdom of the word of God and the wisdom of the gospel. Uh, one of my favorite Charles Spurgeon's quotes is this. Perhaps you've heard it before. The word of God is like a lion. I don't go to the zoo very often, but truthfully, if I ever go, the lion cage or enclosure is probably the better politically correct word. 
is like my favorite animal to see. They're normally sleeping, but when a lion stands up on its feet and moves and is active, it's incredible. And Spurgeon said this, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion, Spurgeon said. All you have to do is let the lion loose and it will defend itself. Weigh the results of receiving the preached word. If week after week you come in and you receive the preaching of God's word, you will be among the freest of the free. And if you don't, you will be among the bound, the enslaved, the crushed. God expects you to humbly receive the preaching of his word. It's a biblical commitment. So we're looking at this particular commitment of our covenant. We've seen that it's a biblical commitment. Let's move to a second simple reality about it. It is a threatened commitment. And as I just stated, it is threatened to your own peril. What might keep you from receiving the preached word? Well, James chapter 1, I think, would help us think about that a bit. Pride and indifference would keep you from receiving it. These often replace the humble hunger that James 1 calls for. And if instead of hunger, hungry, hunger for the word of God, in the place of that comes pride and indifference. I mean, you could be content with just where you're at. I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy. My life is working for me, at least right now, and I don't even want to change. Or you could have a low view of God's word. You know, it's just a book. It's hard to understand. Or you might become hung up on the messenger in some way, shape, or form. As I mentioned just a few moments ago, every single Sunday, very ordinary men stand up and preach this book with high voices and low voices, with, with better presentation skills and oratory skills and all the rest. Some men with greater charisma than others, some who speak slow, some who speak too fast. Or there's a relationship between the person preaching it and something I don't know, there's something there. And as God's word is preached, you just, you get hung up on something in the messenger. Or you could be a hearer and not a doer, as James chapter 1, the, where, right where our text is at, talks about. That you could stand before the mirror of God's word and you could see yourself and you could walk away unchanged. I think any time that we have unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our lives, it's particularly hard to receive the word of God. John Bunyan famously wrote in the cover of his Bible, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And I think all of us know that to be true by experience. You may want to hold on to your sin or you, you frankly just may not like what it says. There was a king in the Old Testament named Ahab. You remember Ahab? He had a lot of problems. Well, Ahab had 400 counselors who were basically there to tell him exactly what he wanted to hear. I mean, Ahab's reign was like, hey guys, just Tell me, it just needs to be my way. <laughs> I mean, that's Ahab. And so he's got these 400 men that tell him what he wants to hear all day long. And Ahab's about to go to war beside this other king. And that other king said, actually, I love your 400 guys, but I'd like to hear from somebody else. I'd like to get counsel from somebody else on what we're about to do. And Ahab told the other king something to this effect. Well, here's the deal. I mean, I could go get counsel from this other prophet of God. His name's Micaiah but I hate him. <laughs> Do you know why I hate him? Because I never like what he says. 
he never says good things about me. And so Micaiah is brought to give these two kings counsel, and as he's being summoned, he's also being begged to tell Ahab, King Ahab, what he wanted to hear. Make sure you tell Ahab what he needs to hear. And Micaiah replies in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. He says, I'm not going to do that. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. I'm just the messenger. And whatever the king, the true king says, that's exactly what I relay. Well, Ahab didn't like that. Ahab, I mean, Micaiah didn't tell Ahab what he wanted to hear. And so King Ahab throws this guy in prison. And they decide to go to a battle against the counsel of the Lord. Ahab didn't listen, and he was killed in battle. God expects you to humbly receive the preaching of his word. When God speaks, we listen. That's what we do. Uh, if you have a physical copy of God's word in your hand, I want you to do something with me at this point. You may have God's word on your phone or a tablet or something. If that's the case, just maybe watch up here for a moment. But if you have a physical copy of God's word, I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. It's almost kind of right in the middle of your Bible. And you can find the book of Isaiah and tuck a finger there in that book. If you can't, here's mine right there in the middle. You've got one finger in Isaiah. And once you get there, you can keep a finger there and turn to the book of Matthew, the New Testament. And maybe you've got a finger there as well. So if you're looking this way, I've got one finger here. This is the book of Isaiah a prophet. And then here, the New Testament, Matthew. And I've got all these pages in between. This is how thick it is in my Bible. I think it's 250 to 300 pages. And maybe you're holding right within your hands these same books. Isaiah, all the way up to the New Testament. Do you know what you're holding between your fingers right now? You're holding within your hands the message of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. People often think of the Old Testament prophets as predictors, and yes, they were that. God spoke of future events through these men, but the vast majority of the prophets' message actually wasn't prediction. I mean, if, if, if you read these books, it's not like, hey, here's what's going to happen, here's what's going to happen hundreds of years from now. It, it, that, that's not the vast majority of what you're reading. The vast majority of the prophets' message was not prediction, but preaching. The prophets were preachers. They were heralds who stood up again and again and again and proclaimed, Thus saith the Lord. These are God's words, not mine. This is God's message to you, not mine. In fact, for some of those men, they would have probably been fine if God never called him to, to deliver their mess his message. But they were faithfully, here's God's truth, and I'm here to share it with you. And through the preaching of the prophets, God was calling Israel and Judah to repent of their idolatrous ways and their spiritual adultery against God himself. They were announcing that judgment is coming. And for hundreds of years, God faithfully sent preacher after preacher to his people, but the people of Israel wouldn't listen. We're good. We like, we like how it's going for us. We've got a good arrangement with all these other nations. We like their gods. We like their wives. It works. They wouldn't listen. And sure enough, God's loving, chastening hand came down very, very heavy on his people 
because they had abandoned him. God expects you to humbly receive the preaching of his word, and it's so easy to do exactly what God's people did for centuries. I'm good. It's work. This is working for me. It's a threatened commitment and threatened to your own peril. Number three, third reality, it is a practical commitment. Here are a few ways that you can live this commitment out. One would be uh, just the whole idea of advanced prayer. Listen to what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, verse 18, and maybe think about how you could apply this to the preaching of God's word. The psalmist prayed, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What if sometime prior to the preaching of God's word, sometime prior to gathering with God's people on Sunday, or even uh, once we've gathered, you could pray something like this to the Lord, God, would you help me to receive your word? God, my ears are open, and whatever you want to say to me today, I am listening. Would you open my eyes? Would you open my ears? Would you feed me? Advanced prayer. Also, the idea of advanced confession of sin. If you're there in James chapter 1, look at verse 21 again. And notice what precedes the, the, the little text that we chose for today. James 1.21 starts this, this way. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If you can make every effort to come to the preaching of God's word already right with God and already right with others. And James is admonishing us here, if you want to receive my word, my truth, deal with your sin. Make it right. And also the idea of attentive and active listening, listening and receiving, that actually takes a lot of work. And you want to work to listen well. You, you want to try to avoid the passive, I just came, I, I sat, I went out. No, I came and I paid attention. And, and that may look different for all of us. Uh, some of you may be note takers and the way you process is you just sit there and I mean, you're, you're taking crazy notes, just, you're just going, you're writing and you're grabbing and this is good. And others of you, if you try to do that, you would not hear a single thing. That's me, I just like, if I start taking notes, I'm not listening at all. And whatever works for you, you want to come in and say, God, give me your help so that I can listen well. God expects you to humbly receive the preaching of his word. It's a practical commitment. Number four, it is a grace-required commitment. I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Obviously, you need to put some effort in as the word of God is preached in practical ways like I just mentioned. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you need God's help. And you need God's grace. For example, God tells us of the critical role that the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, plays in our understanding of His words and consequently our understanding and grasping of the preaching of God's words. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. And these verses are really about the crucial role that the Spirit of God plays in helping us understand God's truth. Paul said this, he said, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is from God. We've received Him. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
in verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The things of God, are we understand them by the Spirit of God. The natural person, verse 14, says, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I think this really big picture from those verses, what is very clear is that God has given us the precious gift of his spirit, and it is his spirit that helps us understand his words. And I think we want to humbly come to the preaching of God's word, recognizing that I have three degrees in theology, and I open up this book many times and go, I don't know what's going on there. I'm not sure what's being said there. What? All of us have that experience. And I think the simple reality is we want, we want to study. We want to, we want to mine the truth from God's word. But at the end of the day, no matter how much study we've done, no matter how many degrees we have, or by the way, how many degrees we don't have, God says that the essential ingredient to understanding this book is him. Not a pile of degrees. We need his help. And so we all come to this book and we say, God, I need your grace. Would you open up your words to me? We sing a song here that I think is so good. We often sing it before the preaching of God's word. It's called Speak, O Lord. And it's, it's a prayer that we sing, God, would you speak? Would you help us to receive the words, your holy words? Would you feed us? Would you help us? That's what we want. It is a grace-required commitment. And number five, it is a gospel-driven commitment. What would cause you to hunger for the word of God? Well, notice where Jeremiah 31, verse 33, says that God places his word not under the old covenant, but the new covenant. God says, I will put my law within them, within his people, and I will write it on their hearts. Where does this all begin? Where does our hunger for the word of God begin? If you are a Christian, God has given you a new heart and he has planted the seed of the gospel, the seed of his word, the seed of his truth in it. And it is the gospel that would even give us a hunger for this book. Everything goes back to the gospel work of Christ in the heart. It's the gospel at work in our lives that causes us to hunger for the words of God. This is a gospel-driven commitment. And you could hear all this, and, and, and maybe you're like, man, I guess I'm supposed to like hear preaching and listen and try to do something with it. But where this all begins is with the work of Christ. And maybe you have come here today, and I mean, you heard Dave before me. He was up here talking about people uh, hearing the good news of Jesus, and I'm talking about God doing something in people's hearts so that they're actually hungry for the word. God wants to do something amazing in your heart and in your life. The Bible describes all of our hearts as, as like hard as stone by nature, by birth, and that we're, we're distanced from God and even at odds with him. And yet God in his wonderful mercy, mercy and compassion sent his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven here. And Jesus took on flesh and blood. He's always been, but he took on humanity. 
and he lived in our place, and ultimately he died on the cross to pay for our sins so that you and I could be new people, new creatures. And what he calls, what God calls all of us to is to repentance and faith, basically to say, God, I'm a sinner. I, I have not lived for you. Okay, there's no question about that. I admit it. I confess it. And I don't want that life anymore. I don't want to live against you. I want to live for you. I don't want to live a life of sin. I want to set free from that. And so God, would, I acknowledge that. God, would you save me? I, Jesus, you tell me Jesus did for something for me in the pages of your, your word. You tell me Jesus died for me and that he was buried and that he rose again. And if I'll put all my confidence and trust in him to save me, he'll give me new life. He'll cause me to be new. He'll change something in my heart. You can't earn that. You can't buy that. It's something God gives you as a gift. And if you've never experienced that, if you're not a new creation, then God says this, repent and believe the gospel or the good news. You don't, you don't work for this. God does this for you. And if you don't have this new life, I'd encourage you to do what God admonishes you to do. And maybe in just a moment as I pray to God, you just sit there and say, God, I, you're right, I'm a sinner. My heart is hard. I love my sin. But what Jesus did, I believe you can save me. Will you? Will you make me new? Will you make me whole? And he will. He promises to do that very thing. Very quickly as we wrap up, we've made the same three applications every week. Here's the first one, live it. God expects you to live this out. Week after week as you hear God's word preached, we want to apply this. But we want to encourage you as well. Our elders want to encourage you to pray the commitment that you see in, in the covenant. Um, that's why we've made several of them available. We hope that you'll grab a copy, stuff it in your Bible. And these biblical commitments that we see in our covenant, what if we all prayed those for ourselves as individuals and we prayed them for each other? God, would you help me to respond to the preaching of your word like that? God, would you help us to respond to the preaching of your word like that? And then number three, try to make that contagious. We are a people who want to be hungry together for the word of God. God expects you and I to humbly receive the preaching of his word. Would you bow your head with me at this time?